Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and I'm joined by the Cyberpunk 2077 to my GTA 6. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, it's a midweek episode, so there's only one way to start this. What connects the following people? Billy McKinley, Paul Hart, and Alex McLeese. Oh, I, I, was, I knew you I get thought this. I had it. should I, get well, I know, I thought I, thought I had it. Um, they've all been forest managers at some point. Mm, I don't think they have. I don't think Billy McKinley have. No, has, but... no, no. Okay. You, you, you nearly caught me off guard then, but that's not correct. I'm quite disappointed, actually. I thought you would get this. They had the three shortest managerial reigns in championship history. Alex McLeish left Nottingham Forest in 2013 after just 40 days in charge. Paul Hart departed QPR after 28 days in 2010. And Billy McKinley was the shortest, I'm not sure this will ever be topped, eight days as manager of Watford in 2014. He's got the third best win percentage of any manager in Watford's history. And that's because (laughs) he won one of his two games in charge. Incredible, incredible stat there. Um, I thought it was maybe on the right lines, but that's some good knowledge. That's some good knowledge. The Paul Hart one, I think I completely forgot about, but was that during the crazy era where they released a documentary in sort of the um, late 2000s? No, it was uh, the year before. uh, Before it got got crazy. Would it have been... Oh, I don't know now. No, it would have been the year before Warnock came in okay. and then Terrapped and, you know, all that lot were there. It was when QPR was still a bit mad, really. I mean, yeah. still a bit mad. They're a bit mad now, uh, <laughs> but even madder back then. Yeah, but a bit madder. I think it was the Fli- uh, Flavio Briatore years, wasn't it, as the ownership? But pretty mm. pretty bonkers tenure. Um, oh, yeah. And as I, say, as I say, that was that uh, really, really good documentary, actually. The five-year plan or four-year plan it was. Really, really good. Um, I'm sure I know this one. Have you not seen this? No, I'm not sure I have. Oh, it's it's really good. It's usually on Sky Sports Football when they've got nothing else to play during an international break. When I, they haven't got the Premier League years to play. Yeah, I, I tend to watch it every time it comes on, but it's really worth watching. It's really, really insightful. Really, really good. Well, I'll have to keep an eye out for it. Why am I bringing up the shortest managerial reigns I hear you say? Well, it's because it's truly sacking season, isn't it? Of course, both Michael Duff and Tony Mowbray dismissed by Swansea and Sunderland, respectively. If you want to hear our thoughts on that, just and I did an emergency pod on Tuesday discussing those two decisions. But they are the 36th and 37th managerial changes in the championship since the start of last season. That's the equivalent of a managerial change every 13 days. That's insane, Peachy. You could take a job at the beginning of December and before Christmas you could be sacked. 
that's oh, yeah. the average lifespan um, based on that. It's incredible. The incredible stat. Basically, one bad run of form, and you, you, there's a high chance you're going to be out on your ass. And because the championship's so up and down, there's always a good chance of that happening in a couple of weeks' time. You're never a couple of weeks away from potentially being out of a job in the championship. I was going to say that's why we love it, but it's obviously not nice people losing their jobs, I suppose. I was going to say, based on those numbers as well, you're never a couple of feet away from a championship manager either by the by the sounds of it. <laughs> probably right, probably <laughs> right. I've got uh, Gary Megson living next door to me at this point. <laughs> Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, it's a midweek episode and we haven't had midweek games, so we're going to look ahead to the championship this weekend and make some predictions. So Justin and I will be revealing them very shortly. We're also going to be having a chat about the managerial vacancies currently in the championship we've got three vacancies at the moment can't remember too many occasions where we've had three vacancies at one time in the second tier but we're going to be talking about who we think would be good for those particular jobs and also we'll finish off with Scott High or Ryan Lowe right at the end of the show so let's have a look ahead to the weekend and in each preview episode of the second tier just and I We'll each pick a banker, a team we think is guaranteed to win this coming weekend, as well as an outsider, so someone we think is going to win, but is bigger odds with the bookies than their opponents. We're tracking how we do as the season goes on. One point for a correct banker, two points for an outsider. Whoever loses has to do a forfeit. That will be a coach trip from Sunderland to Plymouth and back for Justin and a CrossFit workout for myself. Although at the moment that's looking quite unlikely because the current scores are 22-17 to myself. Justin Peach managed to claw back a point after he got his outsider correct of Plymouth to win at home to Stoke last weekend. I got my banker correct of Leeds to beat Middlesbrough. So two points for Justin, one point for myself. Decent weekend for Justin. Let's see if he can have an even better weekend this coming weekend. Justin, what is your banker? Uh, these these things now fill me with anxiety uh, and stress <laughs> because there's so much so much riding on it now. Uh, I.e., two I mean, days of my life. It wasn't doing it before. Not not to the same extent it was because it, it's getting real now. We're, we're we're losing we're losing daylight here. We're losing games between now and the end of the season for these midweek for these midweek predictions. So yeah, a little bit of stress. But I'm going away from the trodden path, having been let down. So many times by the overwhelming favourites and going for Coventry to win at home to Birmingham City mm. the idea here is that Birmingham quite simply don't know their arse from their old bro at the moment and according to Mr Wayne Rooney I quote his team lacks a pair of bollocks to play football in front of a crowd of course coming from the comments he said um, after the Rotherham game on uh, at the weekend Coventry City for me they don't lack a pair of bollocks but actually more of a clinical edge um, so they you know, carrying carrying a lot uh, in the mid uh, in the midriff region, but just lacking in that um, in that ability to really put the ball in the back of the net on a yeah, consistent I, basis. I was going to say they've got a pair of bollocks until they're in front of goal. It's, I mean, it depends it depends how you look at it. I think it takes a bigger pair of bollocks to miss a, a guilt edge chance than it does to to score it. But uh, we'll leave that there. They they were poor in that last game against Itchwich so I think a reaction is absolutely needed and we've been saying for a long long time and basically been banging the same drum and over and over again is Coventry have been vastly underperforming um, when it comes to well, the performance in the final third and if they can start putting their chances away they will win games Birmingham City don't like playing with the ball at the feet apparently so why not Coventry do like to play football so there has to be a win here 
And the thing you forgot to mention, Justin, is this game is on telly on Friday night. And if Birmingham's oh, no. players are falling apart in front of a crowd, imagine how bollockless they're going to be when they've got the TV cameras there as well. It's something you've seriously got to consider. Um, I'm not going to disagree with you on this, Justin. <laughs> Coventry have looked like they're picking up despite losing to Ipswich at the weekend. So I'm very much on board with this one. I suppose the question is, could Wayne Rooney be under pressure if he suffers another loss five points from an available 24 so far and these owners have sacked managers for a lot less haven't they well the the the, uh, the one manager they have had um, <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised to be honest with you because it's it's looking like a mistake and i think rain rooney calling out his players uh, against rotherham is, is surely going to serve up a big reaction for them against coventry so that might add things uh, into it in that sense but yeah you are right I do think if he does lose again he, he's going to feel the pressure quite significantly um, because they have fallen really really far down the table since he took charge yeah well you could have let him off before in those first four or five games because they had a really tough run of games now they have drawn to Rotherham in a game which was so flat it was dreadfully yeah. boring lost to Blackburn beat Sheffield Wednesday but even that was a bit of a struggle so you know Rooney's got to turn it around hasn't he otherwise these owners will be looking even more silly than they already are currently and I mean I was asking will he be under pressure I think he's already under pressure isn't he from mm -hmm. just how poorly it's gone so far my banker from the weekend is Leicester to win at home against Plymouth as far as bankers go this season this is one of the more obvious ones I do really like Argyle I like the way they go about their business I like the squad I like Stephen Schumacher but they're quite a way off competing with Leicester, particularly with their away form, which has been a problem. Plymouth have won just three points from an available 27 on the road. So it would be a shock if they came close to getting anything from this game. Leicester have had a wobble, but sat the doubters down with an impressive win over West Brom last weekend and should be too much for a weaker Plymouth side. Enzo Maresca's mighty foxes have a chance to build some form, actually. They should be getting maximum points in each of their next four games when you look at the opposition. So this should be a comfortable win for Leicester. My only worry would be if Maresca gets a bit squad rotation happy with midweek games coming up, as we saw when they drew to Sheffield Wednesday just over a week ago. So it's an interesting point you bring up about the rotation. You could go full pep here and overthink it. Yeah. We've, yeah, we've seen it before and obviously we've seen it in previous games with Moreski. He's overthinking certain things and um, if this game, well, I don't think any game is is quote unquote a banker in this division as I well know given my uh, results in, these, in this game that we've been playing. Um, but this is a game that really could stir up some um, some potential problems for Leicester. Plymouth attack without any due care at all. They don't care. They will They will go for Leicester. And they scored some XG busters as well. So I think it's worth bearing that in mind um, for, for Maresco in terms of guarding against complacency for this game. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Plymouth are one of the best attacking teams in the division for me. Having said that, I think they could very well lay a couple of punches on Leicester, but I just think Leicester are just too big a beast and even if they do rotate which I think Maresca may become guilty of doing as the season goes on I still think they'll have too much for Plymouth personally I'm all for Plymouth getting something from this game because that would be a great turn up for the results gives us something to talk about 
But I would be very surprised if anything happened here that isn't resulting in a Leicester three points. My outsider for the weekend is Ipswich to a win away at Middlesbrough. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Ipswich as outsiders. I was as surprised as you, but if I'm going to have the chance, I'm going to take it to back Kieran McKenna's boys. The main concern for me is Ipswich's away form has dropped off. Home is very much where the heart is for them with nine wins from 10 at Portman Road, whereas they've only won one from their last five away games. So it is a problem. However, they did also win five of their first five away games. So it's clearly not an epidemic. They are capable of winning on their travels. This weekend will be a great time to find that winning touch on the road once again. And my main reason for picking this game is that Ipswich could have not picked a better time to face Middlesbrough. They've got around 10 players missing for this game through a mixture of injuries and suspensions. They have been blighted by injuries all season and it's just got worse and worse. If you had to make a list of Borough's five best players, they're all missing for this game and then so are many others. The defence is going to be looking very makeshift, which isn't ideal at all against the top scorers in the league. So really, it would be a missed opportunity if Ipswich didn't win this one. Yeah, it's a good pick. And I think I'm finally just understanding how to play this game. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The fact that Middlesbrough have such a, a significant injury crisis obviously hasn't played its part in the odds because I, I had to double check this because I thought of some scumbaggery unfolding before my eyes where you've found the nichest odds possible um, on, a, on a betting site wherever in the world um, so I had to really double check but you are right Ipswich are our favourites and it's as I say it's, 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 sorry our outsiders it's astounding because um, their waveform has been a bit bumpy of late and obviously Borough are a very good outfit but they've got so many injuries that they're not going to be able to field a full, fully fit squad so it's hard to disagree with you on this one and it's it's a really really good pick which isn't a surprise because yours came in at 8.01 on Monday morning oh why do you have to bring this up it doesn't <laughs> matter Justin set an alarm man you coward but yeah uh, I, I'm, I very much believe Ipswich should be getting a win here um, Middlesbrough can still harm Ipswich I mean Emmanuel Latilaf seems to have found some form for example and He's someone who seems to be growing into this Middlesbrough team. And there are a couple of other players who can cause Ipswich problems. But considering the injury problems, Ipswich will have really shot themselves in the foot if they don't win this one. Which is why I was so surprised that they were an outsider for this particular mm -hmm. game. Justin, what's your outsider? I've gone with Millwall to win away at Cardiff. It maybe feels like Cardiff have a bit, hit a bit of a roadblock of late. They've lost the last two home games. Uh, and Millwall, despite suffering two heavy defeats under Joe Edwards, they've looked a, well, they looked a little bit more competent against London. Arguably should have won that game at the Den if it wasn't for a sketchy penalty being awarded. I think it was against Ryan Leonard who made the tackle on Jack Clark. Logically, it's easy to see why Cardiff are, are the favourites for this game. Um, but Millwall's away form actually is is pretty good, um, all, all being said. And obviously, the, Joe Edwards had that first game against Sheffield Wednesday where he really tapped into the quality of the team, uh, of his Millwall team. And I think given that Cardiff's inability to create an abundance of chances within games, Millwall are probably going to look solid once again because Joe Edwards has said in the last couple of weeks he wants to strip it back to the basics because they haven't been doing that under him so far, hence the two heavy defeats. I think that's going to work in Millwall's favour and probably edge a, hopefully edge uh, uh, an arrow win against Cardiff. 
Yeah, I was um, a bit surprised when he picked this one, Justin. I think um, Joe Edwards is certainly finding his feet still at Millwall. I think that's fair to say, isn't it? And you were a bit sceptical about that appointment, mm-hmm. weren't you? Yeah, it was, but it's just what he said over those past those two heavy defeats. He's really laid into his players. They've made a, they were making a lot of mistakes um, within the game. Uh, but Sunderland, I saw a reaction. Sunderland, against Sunderland, I saw a reaction. I saw essentially what he said he was going to do. He's going to ship it back to the basics, and I think that's going to help them, especially in an away game. I think I'm hoping I see a classic Millwall performance where it's really dogged defending it's uncomfortable to break down it's not easy um and they and they win via a set piece because he's he's that's what he's got to do he's got to transition it slowly from the the Gary Rowett era where that's what we're used to seeing to what he wants and I think that's going to be a periodic thing um and I think going going away to Cardiff who have had a bit of a bumpy run of late in terms of form I think it's a good chance for him to to get three points Before we have a break, Justin, and look at the managerial vacancies currently in the Championship, we've had a bit of correspondence regarding our father-son Championship 11. (laughs) That's our team of current Championship players with dads who used to play in the Championship. Hull City Australia says you missed off Jacob Greaves' dad, although Mark never seems to have played in the Championship, which might discount him. Um, We'll probably take him either way, won't we? Because uh, we're we're scraping the barrel a bit. That's a sort Mark has also got in touch. He says, you've scored a bit of an own goal here, lads. How can you forget Thomas Ince? Oh, my God. Yeah, that's a bad one, to be fair. We should hang our heads in shame on that one. So uh, as far as I've got it so far, Justin, if we're making this team with the Suns, we've got Angus Gunning goal, Charlie Cresswell and James Hill at centre-back, Jacob Mm -hmm. Greaves at left-back, a midfield of Tom Ince and Noah Maweni. Up front is Bailey Kadamartri and Josh Windass. Now, I've done some more research, Justin, and I've got loads more. Although his dad never played in the championship, he did play in the second tier. Stokes Tyrese Campbell, son of Kevin. Yeah, I should have have got that one as well because I love Tyrese Campbell. You Mm. can slot in on the left wing, so that's another slot uh, filled in for us. The Ipswich striker, George Hurst. It's the son of David Hurst. He used to it's a lot of play forwards. Up. Yeah, yeah. He, he used to play up front for Sheffield Wednesday in the nineties. Again, not championship, but we'll take it. It he may mean the, that uh... Windass has to drop into midfield in the eleven because <laughs> we're getting a bit top heavy. And then here's another obvious one: Justin Liam Delap, son of Rory, of course. Oh, you know what? I, I, I. Delap was the first one that came to my head, but I completely forgot to mention him in the episode on Sunday. He was the first one that came to my head. I think I've got him written down as well. But that is a big one. That is a big one. Yeah. The issue is we've got too many strikers here. We may have to rejig it. Um, but I tell you what, I'll do some work over the next few days and present a full, comprehensive father-son <laughs> 11 in Sunday's episode. As long as we're sticking with the sons, are we? Are we sticking with the sons, not the dads? Yeah, we we can stick with the sons. Um, I think it's worth. Obviously, the dads will get a mention because uh, they'll be sat in the stands, really proud of their kids playing out for this second tier eleven. Yeah, I think we have more chance of filling out an eleven with sons because, from what I'm from memory, it seems like a lot of the dads are actually forwards. So we could go in a bit. Could be going a bit Garth Crooks with mm. our our team if uh, we go down that route. But yeah, I'll. Uh, I'll do some digging, do some research and report back on Sunday. And finally, it turns out you were kind of right with your claim about triangular corner flags only being for teams who have won the FA Cup, just in it. When you said it at the weekend, it sounded like absolute <laughs> bollocks. I thought you were talking out of your arse, but it's um, it is kind of true, but it's not. It's apparently tradition 
that clubs do it. However, there's no FA rule about this and clubs are actually free to decide what shape flag they use. But I'll let you have this one. It's it's one of or a million I haven't had, so I will take it. So the idea came from Cardiff City making the triangular mm-hmm. corner flag initially because they wanted to gloat to Swansea fans about it, which I think is just, oh, chef's kiss pettiness right there. <laughs> things we love to see in the championship. I mean, it did happen in the 20s. So when you say things we love to see, it's, it's quite a way back. But you <laughs> things, know what? Things we love to see, old sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear boy. Um, yeah, it's uh, as far as 1920s pettiness goes, I am... All here for it. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about some of the managerial vacancies in the championship currently. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. So we're going to have a look at the three managerial vacancies currently in the championship. We'll begin with Sunderland, Justin. I think they were always going to get a bit of flack for sacking someone like Tony Mowbray. He wasn't doing a bad job, was he? In fact, he did a sensational job last season. So there's a lot of pressure on Sunderland for them to show supporters we know what we're doing. So who do you reckon they should get in? If you were in charge of Sunderland, who would be your first port of call? Oh, the main name I've seen so far is Will Still, and I really like the idea of Will Still coming from Riem. Obviously, in Ligue 1 in France, the, the FM playing laptop turbo nerd, if you like, who deserves much more recognition than the intro I've just given him. Um, I think it's obviously a risk considering he doesn't have his UEFA Pro license, and therefore there's the risk of twenty two a uh, £22,000. Does he still not have it? I think he does. I think he does. Um, I was going to say, surely he must have it at this point because that was yeah. such a meme for such a long time. And <laughs> it is. poor Reams must be out on the rast, <laughs> paying <laughs> fine after fine. Yeah, and 22k on top of his weekly salary uh, is an incredible stat. But I did some reading and I, I do like his side um, tactically and it, it looks a nice fit. So will still be the first name and also he can he can flip fluently between French and English. Have you seen that clip of him doing so? No, I haven't. There's a, yeah, there's basically a clip of him speaking to his players um, in French and then English. He's effing and jeffing, he's swearing, and then he's doing it in French. It's an incredible switch around. And there's quite a few French players within the Sunderland squad as well. There's Abdoulaye Barr, there's Pierre Equa, and there's obviously quite a few English-speaking ones as well. So that's a nice fit, I think. Mm. I mean, okay, fine, would be interesting. Um, I'm not sure how realistic it is, I've got to say, because... Um, we were speaking to Andy Brassel, weren't we, from the Football Ramble, our sister show, um, who's uh, obviously a European football expert, for those who don't know. And he indicated that he didn't think it was likely. Um, mm-hmm. He will still, this is, was being asked at the weekend about the Leon job. Now, obviously, for those who haven't been paying attention to League Un, Leon are having a bit of a shitter. Um, so I don't think it's too much of a surprise that Will still decided, you know what, I'm not interested in that. Um, so I, I think for me, I may be being completely naive here. I think Will still would be more likely to go to Sunderland than Leon. That may be completely naive and stupid to say, but 
I don't think it's that much of a stretch. Having said that, I still think it would be quite unlikely, personally, because it may be seen as kind of a sideways step, I guess. What, going to Sunderland? Yeah. Yeah, I know I know Reams are not a club on the same level in terms of stature as Sunderland's, but we are talking about a team who are playing in the top tier of a top five European league. Yeah, no, I understand that that notion, but I'm going to sell Sunderland now as a, as a football club. They're, they're huge. We know this. It's, it's they're, They are a huge football club, big stadium, sellout, blah, blah, blah. We all know this about Sunderland. They have a squad full of young, talented players. They've got an infrastructure behind the scenes that I think any manager will be envious of. They've got a very good academy. We're seeing that with the likes of Dan Neal, um, Anthony Patterson thriving in the Sunderland first team. And then you've got the historical academy graduates of Jordan Pickford, Jordan Henson, etc., doing really well in the in, in the top division, obviously now coming to the end of their careers. But for me, Sunderland are one of the most good-looking prospects in England right now. I don't think it's a sideways step. And if you're talking about a big European club, Sunderland can be a big European club. Um, I wouldn't put that title on them just yet, but... They can be a big football club in the Premier League with the right manager. So I think they're a very good project. Yeah, I think just, be... just an, I'm not going to disagree with you on that. I think you're completely right there. But I think if you're looking at it from a Will Still perspective, I think he may be holding out for a bigger job than Sunderland. And, and when I say that, I'm talking another club in a top five European league. For me, I think it's going to be a foreign manager. I know that's quite a vague selection. I haven't picked out anyone specifically, but that's... The reason I think it's going to be a foreign manager is just because I don't think anyone on the on these shores particularly stands out. I think the Sunderland hierarchy are looking for someone who will get them seriously challenging for automatic promotion, has a record of developing young players and plays attractive football. I mean, Kieran McKenna fits the bill, but that's just not going to happen. I'll say that straight away. Graham Potter, but that also seems quite far-fetched. I think he'll be holding out for a Premier League job. I think Stephen Schumacher would be a good long-term appointment. However, I get the sense Sunderland wants to be in the Premier League sooner rather than later. And I think Schumacher's a bit too long-term for that. So for me, Sunderland have to cast the net out further. And judging from some of the names being linked, it seems like that will be the case. I'd be quite comfortable in betting that the next Sunderland manager will be someone we're probably not familiar with and almost certainly hasn't managed in this country before. It's not... I agree. I think it's going to be a manager from overseas. There could be Will Still. Yeah, who who knows? Or it could be a foreign manager. I think they come. It comes with a risk, um, but also it comes with success. I mean, there was scepticism about Marty Sifuentes going to QPR. I know he's only a few games in, but he's performing very, very well at the moment. So, Sunderland have got their head switched on. They're a very good side. They're a very good side at recruiting players. And I think they'll be a very good side at recruiting their next manager because they've not had the chance to do that. They've gone from Alex Neal, Tony Mowbray. That Tony Mowbray appointment was quite quick after Alex Neal departed. Um, and it was a, a similar a similar style. Now they've got a chance to really cut their teeth into into who, who, who the next manager is going to be. And I think they'll they get it right. Yeah, I, I've got faith that Sunderland will get it right, even if it's someone we've never heard of. Um just because they're a club which seem to get quite a lot right at the moment. They're a club going in the right direction, aren't they? And if they're so confident that they can do better than what Tony Mowbray was giving them, then you'd expect it to be someone quite impressive. But we'll have to wait and see. Let's go to South Wales then after Swansea made their first sacking since 2017. I feel like there's not as much pressure here because 
fans very much wanted Michael Duff out the door, but there will mm. be pressure on the club's hierarchy because two bad appointments in a row will not make supporters happy. So let's pretend you are the Swansea hierarchy, Justin. Who would you get in next? Michael Duff, obviously. <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. Um, if, if we're going down the route of you need to stick to your club philosophy, you need to stick to the tradition of the football club, then it's got to be a young coach who wants to make their way in the game. I've seen Chris Davis jump to favourites in the odds and it makes sense. He follows the Swansea way, if you like it. Obviously, a young coach who wants to cut his teeth into management. He was linked to the job in the summer. Footballing-wise, he's currently with uh, Big Ange at Tottenham Hotspur loves to play brave possession-based football. Was with Brendan Rodgers for several years as well. Again, favouring that brave attack-minded possession play. So I think it's got to be a manager in his mould where they're young, they're hungry and they've got a clear philosophy among the players. You know the names like Brian Barry Murphy and Eric Ramsey. Um, they've both come into the into the shortlist and again they fit that ethos and you've got a playing squad like Harry Darling Matt Grimes and Charlie Patino you need a player who's uh, you need a manager who's going to play through them um, and I think someone like Chris Davis or Brian Barry Murphy or anybody else who has that philosophy will get that out of them Well I'm once again going to get on my high horse about giving young coaches a chance Kieran McKenna Michael Carrick Steve Cooper Carlos Corbran all managers have been appointed by EFL clubs with little or no managerial experience and it's worked wonders. And Swansea should do the same. They can afford to gamble because I see it as incredibly unlikely that they'll go down. The fans are some of the more patient in the championship and there are good foundations at Swansea. So find a hungry young coach who's highly rated by those who's worked with and give him a chance. Maybe that is Chris Davis. Maybe it's someone else. I don't know. But going down that route makes a lot more sense to me from a Swansea City perspective, I think. I think it just depends where you're at as a football club. I know the debate that we had a couple of weeks ago was Joe Edwards and Millwall. Um, and I obviously favoured an older head in Nathan Jones. Whereas you were adamant about giving young coach Joe Edwards a chance. And that's absolutely fine. But I think Swansea are crying out mainly because they've had this repeat success of, of, of giving a young manager a chance. They're crying out for a young manager again who's, who's going to be hungry to to essentially make their way in the footballing world. You know, Graham Potter did it. Obviously, he came over from Osterund. He was a success. Steve Cooper was a success. He's now with obviously in the Premier League. And then Russell Martin, who inevitably is probably going to be in the Premier League in either this season or next season at the very least. So there's a clear sequence of things happening there. So it's, you know, as I say, it depends where your club is at. And Swansea are a club that needs to recruit a young coach who's got a clear identity. Simple. And whoever it is, I don't care if it's a coach we've seen before in the championship, whether it's a young coach who's never had managerial experience, whoever it is has to play the Swansea way. I know you were alluding to it a second ago, Justin, but I think that has got to be the first priority because the fans will be extra keen for that to be the case. Considering Chris Davis has worked very closely with Brendan Rodgers over the years and more recently, Ange Postacoglu, one would assume that he fits that mould. So... That'd be interesting if it does come through. And then finally, the other club currently without a manager is still Rotherham. Now, reports said an appointment was expected this week, although the same thing was said about last week. And they don't seem to be on the verge of an appointment. Nathan Jones now seems quite unlikely after looking like it may be him at the weekend. So it feels like we're kind of at square one all over again, Justin. If you were Tony Stewart, the Rotherham owner, who would you offer it to? I think first thing, if I was Tony Stewart, I'd be 
back off holiday because it sounds like he may have gone again if things aren't progressing with the next managerial appointment um just yeah, going on holiday tony yeah you're making such a bad time to go on holiday <laughs> who goes on holiday in the middle of the winter anyway um it makes no sense especially when you've clubs managerless um i i've said before I, i've said liam richardson i think is a good shot because again he's he's a young coach he's got a point to prove after his Wigan departure last season um, and as well as that he's available he's free he's available and he, and he plays a, a type of football that I think will get the best out of um, the players out there he, you know, he likes a big man in the final third Jordan Hugo certainly fits that mould he's got energy and um, a guile now in Sam Nombe who's picking up in form under, under Wayne Carlisle so for me, Liam Richardson's the, the right man. That being said, we said in our emergency episode covering the, the Swansea and Sunderland sackings, I think Michael Duff would be a perfect man for this job. So yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a hard one because apparently people are turning it down, but there's 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 good candidates out there. Yeah, I'm not gonna say anymore because I still think Michael Duff is the ideal man. Ticks all the boxes for me. That would be the perfect appointment for everyone involved I think on the Tony Stewart thing why is he going on holiday <laughs> like why why is this even a thing because I, I remember when they sacked Matt Taylor he went on holiday didn't he yeah. so is he on holiday again now I don't think he is I, I was I was saying it in jest but given oh, the right, lack okay. of progress given the lack of progress <laughs> he may as you'd well assume <laughs> you'd assume he'd be back on holiday not I mean even if you are on holiday you've we've all got We've all got Wi-Fi. We've all got data. You can get on the get on the phones to to manage. You can conduct your interviews via via PowerPoint or pay for pay for Nathan Jones to come out to Alicante or wherever you are. You know, it's it's simple as that nowadays. It's twenty first century, Tony. Get on with it. Yeah, there's really no reason for it to have lasted this long. But I, I, I'm from the sense that I'm getting, it seems like everyone's just turning this job down, which is a not an ideal position to be if you're Rotherham United. But we'll wait and see to see if anyone does come through the door soon. Now it's time for this. Scott High or Ryan Lowe? Give me your Yes, it's time for Scott High or Ryan Lowe. This is the game where we have to rank four things from highest to lowest. It's as simple as that. There's three questions. And this week, I'll be providing the questions for Justin. We are opening the floor to the listener if uh, they want to send in a Scott High or Ryan Lowe. It's the same as what we've been doing with Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. If you send them in to at secondtierpod at gmail. Dot com. That's secondtierpod at gmail.com uh, and title it with Scott High or Ryan Lowe in the subject. Then uh, you may very well get a shout out soon on the show. I will say we've had dozens of hateful eights being sent in. So thank you for that. No one has sent in a Scott High or Ryan Lowe. So if you want a shout out <laughs> on the show, that's the way to do it. <laughs> Everyone just seems to have been taken aback by, uh, you know, the possibility of being mentioned in the same breath as Simon Grayson. But uh, yeah, if, you want, <laughs> if you really do want a shout out on the show, this is a great way of uh, going about it. Anyway, the first question, Justin, is all about Middlesbrough. Here's four Middlesbrough managers. Rank them by who's managed the most games at Borough. Michael Carrick, Neil Warnock, Chris Wilder, Jonathan Woodgate. <laughs> That's... Um... That's a cheeky one, that is, because they've Michael Carrick's, I think, is the longest serving out of them in terms mm. of. Te- oh, I don't know if he is. Um, Chris Wilder is, is, is topical as well. 
I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Neil Warnock top. Okay. Because he was at the end of that Woodgate spell, had a season and then a season and then a bit of a season. So I think Woodgate, uh, sorry, Warnock is top. Then I'm going to go Michael Carrick. He's just done over a year. Then Chris Wilder, who was just under a year, and then Jonathan Woodgate, who was three quarters of the season. You're spot on. You oh. are absolutely spot on, big boy. I thought you might get a bit confused with the final three because it's quite close between them, but you have absolutely nailed it, Peachy. Well done. Uh, Neil Warnock, 75 games in charge. Michael Carrick, 50 games. Chris Wilder, 45 games. Jonathan Woodgate, 41 so it was bloody close. How the hell has Chris Wilder got the Sheffield United job, by the way? He's been friends with the owner. That's it. He, I didn't think he was friends with the owner anymore. I thought that was the whole reason he got sacked in the first place. <laughs> That's a good point. Absolutely bonkers. <laughs> um, anyway, speaking of Warnock, here's four players. Can you rank them for me on who has made the most appearances with Neil Warnock as manager? Sean Derry. Phil Jagielka. Lee Peltier, Michael Tong. Ooh. I've, I've, You'll never guess which player it has played the most under him, by the way. Oh. I've been sarcastic. It's very obvious. No Paddy Kenny. No. Fine. I'm going to go Sean Derry. I'm going to go Phil Jagielka, then Michael Tong. No, then Lee Peltier, then Michael Tong. You have made an absolute hash out of that ladies and gentlemen uh, Jags was top 283 all of them at Sheffield United Michael Tong was second not far behind old Jaggy Elka 275 mostly at Sheffield United but also had a short stint at Leeds Please. as well uh, Sean Derry was quite a way behind in 193 appearances um, that was at Palace QPR and Sheffield United then Lee Peltier on 140 that was at Leeds Cardiff and Middlesbrough you got me head. That's what that was. You completely disrupted my train of thought. No, by, you disrupted by... your train of thought by not listening to the question at all. And I finally, did. we, of course, had the release of the trailer for GTA 6 this week. But can you rank these video games on which have had the most sales worldwide? Those games are GTA 5, Minecraft, the 1985 version of Super Mario Brothers. And the 1989 version of Tetris. So they're not remakes; they were the original releases. The originals, yes. Okay, I'm going to go with Minecraft because I think there are more children than there are adults, and I think more children play it than adults. I'm but some sure adults do play it as well. True, but it's logic. <laughs> it's sound logic. Um, and then I'm going to go the 1985 Super Mario Brothers. Then okay. I'm going to go GTA 5. Then I'm going to go Tetris. Going Tetris last? It's, yeah. Tetris was massive back in the day, mate. I had it on Game Boy. I remember that. Well, you were right with Tetris, but you were wrong about GTA and Super Mario Brothers. You got them the wrong way around. Otherwise, you were spot on. Minecraft, best-selling video game of all time by absolute miles. 300 Magic. million sales, which is nearly twice as many as the next best-selling, which is GTA 5, 190 million. The 1985 version of Super Mario Brothers had 58 million sales. Tetris, 48 million. So quite a drop-off between that and GTA. I thought the 80s were like the pinnacle of gaming, so I was sort of yeah, went with you, the Super Mario edge. I thought that may do you... Well, it did do you in, in the end, but 
because there weren't that many games around at the time. Um, yeah. But at the same time, that's, everyone's got a PlayStation or an Xbox now, haven't they? So everyone's got a copy of GTA. That is true. That is true. Although not everybody should because it's Certificate 18, ladies and gentlemen. That is true. Don't be naughty. Listen to your parents. Have you ever played Minecraft? No, I don't get it. No, neither do I. I think it's very much a kid thing, but still 300 million sales. That is outrageous. Jesus Christ. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday, where we'll be reviewing all the weekend's action in the championship. So we look forward to seeing you then. As always, if you wouldn't mind giving us a five-star review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. If you do it, we'll stop saying it. How's that for a deal? <laughs> Only takes a few <laughs> seconds. Um, so we'll be very grateful if you do it. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Second Tier is a stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network.